I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hello, everybody, and welcome aboard. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. Now, in the last couple of days, there's been, there's been a lot of things going on, but one of the interesting things that went on is that an article I wrote for a magazine called The Blue Magazine. It's a law enforcement-based magazine. Uh, started many years ago. I was a young officer, and I really wanted to write. I mean, that was like uh, a desire that I had. I wanted to write. I felt I had things to say. Now, it's funny. If you ask Miss Kathy, my wife, when we were newly together, newly married, um, you know, we were working hard, trying to figure out where we were going to go, what we're going to do. We, we basically had the lives that we had that we, were in, we inherited from our families, and we were trying to make the best out of them. You know, what do we do? Do we go further in college? Do we get, get a job? Do whatever. And if you've listened to my story, you know I've talked about how I eventually figured out I should be a law enforcement officer, and, and I moved into police work. Well, one of the things that I've always wanted to do was to write. Now, how about you? Do you want to write? Do you feel you have a story to tell? And I know lots of people do. Lots of people do have a story to tell, and they just don't have the wherewithal to tell it in, in any kind of a, of a medium. So early on in my life, when Miss Kathy and I first got married, you know, we worked so hard, we worked all day, and come to the end of the day, um, at the time, we didn't enjoy adult beverages at the end of the day. We simply got tired and went to bed and got ready for the next day. But Kathy would go to bed and go to sleep earlier than me. And I said, you know, what am I going to do? Waste my time watching more TV? Or, or how do I express this creativity that I, I feel I have? You know, I've, I've been a music guy. Uh, when I was younger, I was a music guy. And I played in a band. I, I wrote... At 16 years old, I was in a band uh, with a bunch of fellas, and we were creating our own music. You know, we weren't playing cover tunes. We were playing our own songs at, at 16 years old, creating, calling on the influences that we had. Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Journey, Boston, all these bands that were big at the time. Uh, and we were trying to figure out who we were and tell our stories through music. And we had, we had some modicum of success for 16-year-old kids. Right, and then we had choices to make, and you know, as you grow up and you do more things, now you got to decide: do I stick with music? Do I do whatever? And whatever. My point being is that I've been a creative guy my whole life, and I, I always felt I had a story to tell. And since I couldn't really do it in music anymore, and I, I could have, I, and I continued to play over the years, I still play, but I couldn't devote time to it. I had to devote time now to family and to career and to other things. So I couldn't be out five nights a week playing guitar, you know, uh, you know, ripping Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and all that stuff. So I didn't know what I would do. Well, my, my detective work, when I got to be a detective, that was a great outlet for me uh, for creativity. Because when I became a police officer, the newness of the job... And the immediacy of patrol work, you know, your uniformed officers, the immediacy of that um, in a town that was unlike one that I grew up in. The town where I grew up in it was, was very quiet and calm and, and very little crime. 
and the town I was a law enforcement officer in was was a, a much bigger town, had a lot more people, had a lot more commerce going on. It was surrounded by communities that had lots of crime, and they came into our town and committed crime in our town, and it was it was a lot busier, a lot a lot more serious. And I enjoyed the immediacy of patrol, but it was something that you went to work, you answered your calls, you did what you could do, and then you got done and you went home and that was it. Like if you went on vacation for three weeks, you didn't leave anything behind. You were a patrol officer. Your, your job was to answer calls and that was awesome. And like I said, it was energetic and it was fun. I had robbery calls. I had sex assault calls. We had car chases. Back in the day, used to be allowed to chase cars. We chased cars. We had foot chases. We had drug arrests. Weapons, it was awesome. It was really great. I worked with great men and women, and we had an awesome time. But it, it was like at the end of the day, you were done, and then you went home. There, there was nothing more than, than what you had done. When I moved into the detective bureau, this is where um, I had an opportunity to be more creative because what we had was uh, investigations that required more, more thinking, more planning, more... Uh, activity, that you had to use your skills, your training, everything. You had to get search warrants. You had to interview people. You had to go do surveillances. It was it was really awesome. It was really great. And I found that I could dump all my creativity into the crimes I was investigating. And I was very successful. Um, I, was, I was blessed to have been uh, trained and work alongside some amazing men and women in law enforcement that were just like legends in their time. You know, it's funny, if, if you're not in law enforcement in a particular period of time, you, you may not really get that. But in your community, in your town, uh, there are men and women that are involved in law enforcement at the local, county, state, federal level that are really amazing men and women, really at the top of their game at what they do. And as you work your way through that, you're either part of that group or you watch that group and you aspire to it. So I was lucky because I watched amazing men and women. I aspired to be one of them and I got very lucky in that I was put in a position that I could um, use my skill set, enhance my skill set, and become one of those people that were like trendsetters in the law enforcement uh, at, of the time, of the era. And my partners were just absolutely amazing, just like great. Uh, and we all played off of each other. We all learned from each other. We all had different skill sets, and we blended together uh, so well. But so, and it drew all the it drew all the creativity out of me. Um, you know, preparing for a major case, being involved in major cases, uh, being involved in you know long term investigations where you had to go. You know, we didn't just stay in our town. We were all over the tri-state area. We were in New York City. We we were in Pennsylvania, wherever. I remember Lance Rowland, God, God rest his soul, he was our lieutenant in the Detective Bureau, uh, and he passed away uh, way too young in life. But Lance, when I first came in, he says, hey, the schedule is a starting point. Give me 40 good hours. After that, I pay you overtime. Go solve crime. Now, you take an aggressive energetic individual like I was and my partners were, and you tell us, you give us those parameters, well, we just ran with it. We ran wild. And it really was absolutely amazing and, and fun. And I keep using that word amazing. I can't think of a better word. Um, it was creative and it was, it was exciting. But over the course of time, 
I always wanted to be a writer. And and as I as I went down the the line of life, uh, I found this creative outlet uh, had different places for me to to express it. So while I didn't do it formally, and this is an interesting thing. So if anybody out there wants to be a writer, it doesn't matter how old you are. You could be 70, become a writer and write the greatest novel anyone's ever heard. Or you could be 20 and listening to this and go, you know, I always wanted to write. Maybe I could write too. The key to writing is to, re is to read. You have to read um, a lot of other things, a lot of other people's writing so that you understand how to create sentences. How do you create emotion? How do you build to a point? Uh, how do you take your audience along on a journey? It's just like it's, it's storytelling. Now, anyone who who's who's heard me throughout the course of, of our time here together is that sometimes I will tell these stories and you hear me build to a point and I bring in other characters and I try and make it interesting. Even with the guys in the neighborhood, you know, some of our early uh, programs that we did, we did a lot of uh, role-playing things and, and we, we had scenarios and all kinds of things to tell stories. And that's what, that's what a storyteller is, whether it's in writing uh, or whatever. So what I'm trying to get at here is that in the last couple of days, um, I've had an article come out from The Blue Magazine. And the title of the article is The Gilgo Beach Killer, A Want Crime or a Drive Crime? Now, we've talked here. I've talked about the concept of want crimes and drive crimes right here on our show together. Um, but it's part of my book, The Investigation. And... When I wrote this article, I wrote it because I really think it defines a specific thing for investigators. And whether you're, you're an investigator or not, if you're just somebody who likes crime stories or true stories of crime or whatever, you have to understand we, we have to break the crimes we investigate down into want crimes, things that you know people do because they want things. You know, They want something, so they're willing to go take a chance to commit a crime. They're willing to break into your house to steal your jewelry because they want drugs or they want a, a nicer car or they, whatever they can get with the money that they get from stealing from you. And then there are the drive crimes. These are the crimes that people can't put off. If I have a want crime uh, and I really, really badly want a new amplifier, but I can't afford it, but I know the kid up the street has a really nice one, I might want to break into that house and steal his amplifier, right? I might really want to do that, and I might plan it out. I might think about it. But then you realize, eh, somebody's always home. They have the ring camera on the door. I'll probably get caught. I don't want to go to jail. I can put my want off, even though I really did want it. A drive crime, on the other hand, is something that we can't really control. It is part of the, the built into us. It's a system, and when that's twisted like it is apparently in the Gilgo Beach Killer and in the Ted Bundys out there in the world and these other people that do these horrific, um, violent crimes in hurting other people, we see that they can't control it. It's like a demon loose in their system. So I wrote about this article, and you can find it if you go to The Blue Magazine for this month and you look it up, you'll see uh, Lieutenant Joe's article. You know, I think I'll send it to Malcolm and see if Malcolm wants to put it up on the on the website here, because we do talk about crime, and we talk about chasing justice, and we talk about punishment, and uh, I think it's an insightful thing for people to read. So maybe maybe I'll send it to him. So my point being is that that article came out recently, and I was I was very happy to be able to express myself creatively. 
my books that are out there uh, are expressions of creativity. My first book, The Interview, uh, from Blue360Media.com, uh, is about how to conduct a professional, thorough, and complete investigation. Now, while it's written for criminal investigation, it's really exactly the same for any kind of investigation, no matter what you're doing. If you have to interview somebody, you need to understand the dynamics of what goes into an interview and how you lead it from one place to another. But And, and that's a, a really interesting book. I wish I'd had it when I was a young officer uh, because it really could have changed the dynamic of my first few years on the road meeting people, understanding how to do an interview, whether it's a street interview or a job interview or a criminal interview for homicide, doesn't matter. But when I wrote that book, I wrote that kind of as a here's how you do it, here's the methods, and I told a couple of stories in there to highlight uh, what I was trying to teach, the concept I was trying to teach, but that was pretty much it. With my new book, The Investigation, from Blue360Media.com, what I did is I took, um, I took the story of a brutal double homicide I investigated, and I used it as the backdrop for teaching. Now, I've explained this before, so I don't want to spend all day on it, but I tell the story of this homicide and I break it down from it starts here and then we stop and we go back and look at all the elements of, of uh, how, how would you investigate the movements of this person. Then we talk about the actual crime, the homicides and how they were conducted and how would you investigate the crime scene? What would you do to look at that crime scene and, and investigate it properly? Then we talk about the arrest, the interview and finally the, uh, the trial. How would you prepare yourself for a major case trial like this? So I've had a lot of people read it. A lot of people have purchased the book. Uh, they're using it for training in lots of places. It's very satisfying to finally be able to, to say that, you know, the words in my head have hit the paper and they're actually helping people. So if you know anybody in law enforcement or if you're just a law enforcement buff, you might like either one of these books, The Interview or The Investigation by Lieutenant Joseph Pangaro. You can find him at blue360.com. I just mentioned him here. Because I realize um, my journey of writing and storytelling has led me from true life kind of things, right? Um, teaching and training, telling stories when I'm teaching, to actually committing them to paper, to writing books, uh, has been a journey. And it's, it's a journey of, the, of the, human, the human soul. What is it we're trying to do out there? Uh, so I've blessed, been blessed to be able to do that. And if you're interested in doing it, you should try it. You have a story. Tell your story. There's lots of ways. You can go to Amazon now. You can publish your book without a literary agent, without a publishing house. If you have a story to tell and it's a good story, it will interest people and they will pay attention to it. So I just want to indulge myself for this, this first part because I was very happy that this article came out and I've had a lot of good feedback uh, from people and, and it's really been uh, satisfying. You know, it was a bucket list. I wanted to be a writer. And I really have to give uh, thanks and kudos um, to Ellen, uh, who is the owner and editor at the Coaster newspaper from Asbury Park, New Jersey. The Coaster newspaper. It's a small little community newspaper. It's been around forever and ever and ever. Ellen took it over from her mom. Uh, they tell local stories. They tell stories about, you know, the election, the politicians, the, the, the county fair, uh, the things going on in town. They tell you about the beach and the boardwalk in Asbury Park and the, and the surrounding communities. Uh, 
And I pitched her with an idea. Oh, I'm going to say going back to 2005 or 2006, I said, you know, if I want to be a writer, not only do I have to write because I had tons and tons of stuff written, but I had nobody reading it. What am I going to do? I got to get somebody to read it. I said, well, people love cop stories. They love things about cops. They love all that. It's, since there's been the medium of radio and books, people have written law enforcement stories, right? So I said, how can I write so that the the person out there in the community who's not a cop or law enforcement officer can understand what it's like to be a cop or a law enforcement officer? So I said, hey, um, maybe I can do that. Maybe I can write a weekly column about the life, the rigors, the the experiences of being a law enforcement officer, and people might like that. So I pitched it to Ellen, and I expected a rejection because I had tried a couple other papers, and they pretty much were like, it's a good idea, but we don't know that there's enough interest. Well, Ellen said, you know what? I think there's interest because police work is involved in every part of our lives, so let's do it. So I called the column Behind the Badge, uh, and I started telling these these stories, and they came out in the paper. And I got to tell you, for the first two years, uh, every time the paper came out, I, I got a copy of it. And there I was. I was in the newspaper. You know, there's my, my picture, there's my byline, and there's my words. Uh, and I ended each article uh, with, a, with a, an ending that said, let me know what you think. And I gave my email address. And... I, I wrote five or six columns, five or six weeks in a row, and I said, okay, this is good. Then all of a sudden, I started getting emails from people saying, hey, uh, we, Joe, we like that article about this. We agree this. We disagree. Conversations started. And next thing you know, I'm getting a lot of emails, and I'm writing more columns, and people saying, well, why don't you write about how, what's, what do cops do this for, and why do they do that? So I started to expand, and it was really... A, a great learning experience for me to, number one, how to find my voice as a writer, how to take the thoughts in my head and turn them into writing that could be interesting, entertaining, thought-provoking, uh, and that people would enjoy reading. And the fact that people did enjoy it really was empowering to me, right, uh, to see some success. So I, I want to thank Ellen at the coaster and if you you can go look me up joseph pangara do a google search on my name you will find tons and tons of columns and articles and webinars and tons of stuff that i've done since then that i'm just and i'm trying not trying to pat myself on the back here that's not the point the point is i'm telling you if i can do it you can do it if you have a desire to write or express yourself do it uh, my next my next set of goals to move forward because you always got to have goals going forward right you can't when we stop uh, learning and we stop doing is when we get old and we fall apart so my company Pangaro training I, I teach police schools businesses safety and security stuff are saying our motto is learning is a lifelong endeavor because we learn every single day if we're open to learning I learn from every single person I meet I learned something, either about life, myself, the world around me, their lives, a human interaction. I learned from every single person out there. Um, so life is about learning, and, and that keeps you young because you're, you're expressing yourself. You're, you're learning. You're, you're taking stuff in. You're thinking. So I encourage everyone to do that. If you want to be a writer, do it. My next set of goals 
is now I'm writing creatively. Now I've always written creatively. I have tons and tons of stories. I just could never find my voice to, to tell the stories properly. So that's my next goal. I'm gonna try and, and take a couple of ideas I have and create novels with them. Now it's funny that people say, well, where do you find novel? And how could you write a novel? A novel is really just a story that's longer than an article. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. Um, a novel tells a complete story, uh, a story of, of characters. There's an arc of an article of a, of a, a novel where the character, whatever the character is, learns about themselves. They struggle. They achieve or they don't achieve. They reach a goal or don't reach a goal. And you take the audience with you, you know, through this. So I've written um, a lot of pre-novel stories where I've fleshed them out. And it got to be 50 or 60 of them, in all honesty. Some are law enforcement based. And I don't mean like uh, true crime, but I, I guess maybe they are uh, true crime. But then other ones I've expanded into other areas where... I'm trying to, to look at the entire experience of, of, of life and, and try and tell a story based on things maybe I've experienced or friends have experienced, told me about, I've imagined. And it's, it is a, way for, is a way for me to express myself and feel I'm part of the bigger world. And I guess that's really what this is, right? That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about here. So if you're thinking about doing something like that, doesn't matter what it is. If you want to have a business and you, you, oh, maybe I could do it on the side, I don't know, and you really have a desire to do it, try it, is what I'm telling you. Give it a try. It adds to your life. It adds to your experience. It adds to your breadth of knowledge. Uh, it adds to your personality, and you can do things. My cousin uh, my cousin Chuck, he was a patrol officer in a, in a small town, and he was a sports guy. He was a gym teacher before he became a cop. And Chuck's a really nice guy, and he retires, and he has a dryer cleaning business. He goes and cleans your dryers out so your house don't go on fire. A very worthwhile thing. And all of a sudden, he starts making these wooden signs out of wood. He starts to make designs, uh, like a flower, and then he makes, um, you know, uh, sunflowers. And then he makes uh, a sea turtle, and then he may start... Next thing you know, he's getting really good at creating these signs. People hang them up at their bar. They hang them up at their backyard pavilion. You know, they're really nice. Now he makes like beach badges from famous beaches with the name and the date on it and all. Just, it, it's just, it's expression that knowing my cousin Chuck, I never knew he was capable of this. He never struck me as a, as a creative kind of guy. But he's found this in the last two years. He can't make this stuff fast enough. He makes the stuff, he makes 25 or 30 pieces, uh, you know, beach-oriented mermaids and this and that, and boom, they're sold out and gone. He now has people coming to him going, hey, can you make me nine things for my bar uh, with a sailing ship and this and that and the other thing? He makes it out of spare wood that he finds. He does it in his garage with supplies that he's bought, and it's all his own creativity that has come to the fore at this point in his life, and he's in his 50s. So I find it very inspirational, and I find that his journey is similar to mine. You know, we're trying to find a way to express ourselves. Are you trying to express yourself? 
Do you have an idea in your head you want to try, something you want to do? doesn't matter what it is. You know, go out and do it. And, that, and that's my point. That's what I'm trying to make a point here. Life is short. Life is short. Um, we, we think, you know, oh my gosh, you know, be growing old. I saw a meme the other day on social media, and it was somebody in their 60s, and they were trying to get a message out to younger people. And basically what they said was, uh, hey, listen, uh, growing old happens a lot faster than you think. Now, for anybody out there in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, where did the time go? How fast did that happen to you that you next thing, now you're in your 40s? What happened to your 30s, your 20s, and the teens? Remember when you were a kid and you couldn't wait to not be a kid no more? Now you're in your 40s, 50s, and 60s? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who, who, this, this, this was going really fast. Um, I only get 80 years, I think, here. Um, and what happened? You know, I, I told you before that Kathleen and I were talking, and we realized that, you know, uh, at our age, we, I'm 61, she'll be 60 this year, that we're in the last quarter. We're in the last quarter of life. This is it. You get four quarters of 20 years, about, uh, give or take. Uh, sometimes people get more, sometimes people get much less. Uh, but you get four quarters of 20 years, and we're in the last 20. And you say, wait a minute, put the brakes on. How did I get here? Well, when I look back, I, I raised a family. I had a whole career. I had a second career. I had a third career, right? What I'm doing now, I, I, feel, I feel like I'm an 18-year-old still, though when I look in the mirror, I don't see an 18-year-old. I remember my stepfather, Rocco. He was a very, very nice man. And uh, Rocco was, he had his, like, 83rd birthday when I had a significant birthday, um, 45 or something like that. And Rocco was 80, 83 or whatever. And I said, Rock, how do you feel being 83? He goes, Joe, uh, I feel like I'm 18 years old and I'm trapped in this old man's body. And I, I chuckled, oh, yeah, I bet you do feel like that. Well, I got to tell you, I have felt like the same person I was at 18 years old. Granted, I've had a little more experience in life now and I've had a lot more uh, wisdom. But I feel like an 18-year-old kid and I'm not ready to be old I'm not ready to be decrepit. I'm not ready to be done and move on, that this is the end, this is it. But it happens, and that's where I'm trying to tell you, enjoy every minute of your life, right? This is an inspirational thing I'm trying to bring to everybody today. We all have problems and difficulties. Look for the beauty that's in your life. Look for the people that are in your life and enjoy it. Find that creativity, Find that creativity. Do something that you've always wanted to do. Kathleen and I are going to travel this year. Now, we've spent our whole life taking care of our kids, making sure they had everything. We, we sacrificed everything to give them everything, and I wouldn't take back one iota of it. That was my job. That was my need. That was my desire for my children. But at this point, we were in the last quarter, so we've decided that we're going to travel and we're going to do some stuff for us. I have to pull the money together because it's not cheap. It's not easy to do, but we're going to do it because you know what? I don't know that I have next year or the year after. You know, none of this is guaranteed. You know, you thank God every day for the day you're here, but look around and see those things around you that are beautiful and wonderful and enjoy them. So we're going to take a break and we come back. Then we get into the, the nonsense of politics and everything else. But I wanted this to be inspirational. I wanted us to think about this. What is your journey and where are you going? 
We'll be back in a minute. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity, unlike other supplements that don't work. Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code out loud. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back. So listen, uh, I appreciate you being out there. And I, I say this all the time, and I do, because you know what? I have a vehicle to express myself, which I guess is part of my creativity, which we talked about in the first part of our episode together today. But I can't thank uh, Malcolm, the great Malcolm Out Loud and America Out Loud for giving me this opportunity to speak to you to express myself, to, to go on rants and tangents and give my opinion and, and, and go on and on about the things that I talk about. I hope that over the time together that we've had here, and I can't believe it's been five years. If you go back and look at the podcast, there are five years worth of podcasts uh, with yours truly uh, and all my thoughts and pontifications and the guys in the neighborhood and the comedy skits we did and, and all that kind of stuff. And the only reason we're still here is because you're still there, and the audience is growing. I mean, our audience is growing, and I and I, I could not be more grateful uh, that you would you would have a choice. You have a million things you can listen to, and the fact that you're you're listening to me here on America Out Loud, or you're you're downloading the podcast and listening to it at your leisure, I'm overwhelmed by that, and I can't thank you enough. And I I hope that. All of this thought that I put into this and things I try to bring out and ideas and concepts helps you to, de to develop your points of view, your opinions, your thoughts on things. If I can be a little brick in that process where you say, hey, you know, here's what I'm thinking about this. And Lieutenant Joe said that and I thought about it and I agree or I disagree, but this and, that, and it makes you um, evolve your thinking process. That's really what this is all about because... That's what I try to do. 
I try to ask questions. I try to ask questions for me, to me personally, so that I will think about things. And I hope it helps you. And, and whether it does or not, I, I can't say only you can say, I'm just glad you're out there. And I'm very grateful to you spending this time with me. So I said we're going to get into some politics. But first, I want to tell you about Healthy Cell, right? Healthy Cell products. Now, Lieutenant Joe, are, are, are they paying you? Actually, they're not. Healthy Cell does not pay me anything. I saw it on the uh, I saw it on the network here a couple years ago, and I was feeling I don't know I was 58, 59, whatever it was. I was starting to feel run down. I was starting to feel tired. I was starting to say, "Wow, I feel like an 18 year old, but a tired 18 year old." And I got to do something about. It. And I heard the commercials on the network, and I reached out to Malcolm and I said, "Hey, Malcolm, is this stuff really any good?" He says, well, "If I could do Malcolm's voice, let me tell you something." It's fantastic. You should give it a try. That's not a very poor Malcolm imitation, but I did the best I could. Um, but anyway, so you know what? I'm going to give it a try. So I ordered some, and it came, and I tried it. And I got the, I, li I like the um, the immune boost, because I always, you know, I, I don't like being sick. I get a, a sinuses and all that crap. And after a while, I took it, and I, I felt better. And then I didn't get sinus, and I said, you know, it's a placebo. I'm imagining it. So I stopped taking it. And within a couple of months, I had sinus infections, I had headaches, I started taking it, and I have had no problems, no major problems at all, even through COVID and all that nonsense, uh, for years because of healthy cell. Uh, and I got to tell you, if you're looking for something to help you, the immune boost is great. The focus factor is, uh, I haven't taken it yet, but I know some of my friends who are a little dopey needed some help, they're taking it, and uh, they say it actually has helped them to have a little clarity of thought. And my cousin Stephen, who had trouble sleeping, a young man in his 30s, uh, he buys this stuff all the time because he says, I actually can sleep now. So healthy cell products, I'm just telling you about them because it's important, right? We need to, you got you to gotta know something. Uh, if you have something good to tell people, tell them. If it wasn't good, I would tell you. All right. Now, I said we were going to get into the nonsense of politics. Um, and we will. Uh, one of the things I've seen recently, from being from New Jersey here, uh, Chris Christie is out there running around. Now, I don't know Chris personally. Uh, I know when uh, he was running for governor in the state of New Jersey, those of us of a more conservative bent uh, listened to him and saw him and saw his energy, his, his ideas of more conservative ideas of how to help the economy, help the state, uh, bring New Jersey to a better place. We were excited by it. We really were, because all we've had here, literally, are left-wing Democrats for years who and rhino Republicans who have driven the state into the ground. I mean, that's just a reality. And Chris came along, and he was dynamic. Um, he was energetic. Uh, you know, he was a unique-looking fellow. And I don't put him down because of his size. You know, people. Every, a lot of people make comments about his size because he's, you know, a big guy and this and that. And he is. He's, he's a very large, overweight man. But you never saw that overweightness in his energy. When he was out there and doing things, this guy was a, was a bull in the china shop. And he, it was exciting to see. Everybody was so happy that well, we may have some. And next thing you know, he caught on and he won. In a, in a blue state like New Jersey, he won the governorship. And we were all hoping for the best. You know, this is going to be great. He's going to turn things around. He's not going to stand up for nonsense. He's going to do the right thing. We all thought that. 
And then one of the first things he did, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give him um, I'm gonna give him a little leeway and said he looked at our pension system for public employees, police, fire, teachers, everybody else, and he said we can't afford the deals we've made with these people, and therefore we have to change the paradigm that we've done. Now, that was a little shocking to people because, uh, and I understand for you who have pensions that you're not in public sector, you're not in fire, police, teachers, uh, those kind of things, you might look at the at the pensions of people like me who, who are in these kind of things and go, well, that's a, that's a, a golden parachute pension. Well, you know, it, I guess in some instances it actually it is, but the reality is that was part of the deal for taking the job that offered that. I didn't demand that people have this pension for law enforcement and this, that, and the other thing. That's what they, they were using that as an inducement to try and get uh, the best quality people they could to do a career in public service, teaching, fire, first aid, um, first responders, law enforcement. That was one of the benefits because at the time you didn't make big money as a paycheck but you knew you had a solid pension, that if you got through your 25 years uh, in law enforcement, your 35 years in teaching, whatever it is for teaching, if you did really well and you worked hard for that, that time, your pay might not have been great, but you know you had a solid pension and you had health care to go through the end of your life with. You had a way to survive. You had a good career at the time, public service, and with, with all these sacrifices that come with it. And then when you were done, you had a solid pension. And that was the deal. Now, they do take a lot of money from your paycheck for your pension. Uh, and again, if you're not in the public sector pensions, you might say, oh, based on what you give, it's nothing to what you get. Don't forget, that was the deal that we made. Right? I agreed to miss birthdays and holidays and weekends and other important things in my life to do my job because that's what I agreed to. On the other side, the town, the state agreed, okay, we're going to pay you X amount and we're going to give you this for making those sacrifices for the community. It's a public service job. And I know a lot of you out there, oh, boo-hoo, Lieutenant, boo-hoo, you shouldn't. And I get that. But you know what? No matter where you work, if your company or your employer made a deal with you when you took the position that, hey, listen, if you work with us and we're going to do A, B, C, and D for you and you're going to do A, B, C, and D for us, uh, and at the end of the day, this is what you're going to get. And you say, okay, I'll take that deal. And then you give your effort to that deal your whole life. You expect to get what you were promised at the end. Well, what Chris Christie did is he came in and goes, listen, we can't afford these pensions. We can't afford this. We can't afford that. And he changed the paradigm. Now, for those who don't have public sector uh, pensions, you probably don't care. And, and I understand that. Uh, and it's not about, you know, boo-hoo, Lieutenant Joe, you didn't get something. It's about the contract. It's about the contract. Because if they will screw us, what do you think they'll do to the regular citizens? Right? They'll make you a promise. And, well, we know politicians make promises. They never come through. But we were promised uh, a simplest thing as a COLA, a cost of living adjustment, which meant that once you took your pension, 
uh, and as time went by and there was inflation, five, six, seven percent, your your pension would go up five, six, seven percent. You would have a cost of living adjustment, just like they do for Social Security. Social Security has cost of living adjustments, colas, so that the the pension that you have uh, grows with you, so that you can survive through the rest of your life. Right? That's the whole idea. So you're not a burden on the state, so to speak. Well, he came in and he froze the colas. There's no more colas. Well, wait a minute. Um, when I signed up, I was told there'd be a cola at the end. Yeah, too bad. We're not doing that. And he did that to everybody in the state. And then he turned around and he did other things that were really negative, not based on we were special people, but based on we had a contract, we had an understanding, we had a belief that we would do certain things and the government would do other things. And they chose not to do it. And Chris Christie was the impetus for that. And, you know, he won a second term because, you know, the, the, the going the other way, going to a, a left-wing liberal taking over the state would have ran the state into ruin because he did, he did good things other than screwing the cops, firemen, and teachers um, on their pensions and things. But then he put in caps on what a municipality could, how they could increase uh, their budget, you know, because sometimes if you had a, a, a budget, there would be 5%, 10%, 20% increase in a budget. We well, have to tax the citizens. And I know this is boring. Nobody wants to talk about taxes. My point is, is to get the picture of who Chris Christie was at the time. He tried to do the right things. And while he had to do some difficult things, um, we kind of all understood that. We kind of bit the bullet and said, well, for the good of the state, I see why he's doing this. It's not right that he's changing the contract because we couldn't change the contract, right? We couldn't go in and say, listen, you said we get a 2% COLA. We want a 9%. Give us 9 We couldn't have done that. But he came in and said, there's no COLAs, even though we all signed up for that. So the government had the power here is the lesson to change the paradigm without our permission, even though they had promised us certain things, meaning they could change the paradigm on you, right? That's what I'm trying to get to here. So Chris Christie really ticked everybody off. Uh, all the people who who supported him, he really hurt. He didn't look out for us. He looked out. He started to look out for Chris Christie, and that's what became obvious. And then there was an incident um, where he closed down a beach because uh, of COVID. Closed the beaches down. Closed them down. Um, I don't even remember if it was COVID at this point. I'm I'm, I'm drawing a blank. But he closed the beaches down. Nobody could go to the beach. And there he was and his family were sitting on the beach. And that's the famous, you know, beach chair picture we see Chris Christie plugged into these memes all over the social media platforms. Because no one was allowed to go to the beach. But like most politicians who decide, hey, I can tell you what to do. You can't tell me what to do. Him and his family got to go sit on a beach when the rest of us could not. And that was like the last straw for this guy. You realize he's not there for us. He's there for him. And then he ran for president, and Trump beat the hell out of him, just like he beat the hell out of everybody, and, and he had to go away. And I'm only talking about this because I want you to understand that I didn't dislike Chris Christie. I liked him. I, I supported him. I thought he, he, would, he had a moment in time that he could have been great. He could have been the Donald Trump but he made poor choices. He did not think uh, properly about what he did. So now we see he disappeared for a while, um, and he's reappeared. And where's, where does he reappear? How do, you, how do you look at what somebody's doing to determine what they're all about?
is he appearing on on conservative platforms? Is he interviewing with Tucker Carlson? Is he coming on this program and talking with me, where I would ask him serious questions about his thoughts and activities? No, he's going on left-wing uh, major media sites, and he's bad-mouthing Donald Trump. That is his mission. I think he sees that's his way back into public favor. He's trying to weigh it out, saying, okay, well, 50% of the people are for Trump, 50 are against uh, let me join the against crowd because I can't be a pro-Trumper because I just can't. Uh, so I'll be an anti-Trumper and I'll be the hero of those people. And he's got, what, 3% in the poll? He's got 3% in the poll. No one is seriously going to vote for Chris Christie for president. His moment has come and gone. But all he does is, intel instead of telling you, how he's, I'm going to be the president. I'm going to be the nominee. I'm going to be the president. Well, what, what are your policies? What's your energy policies to, to pump our own gas, to create our own fuel, to, to bring, make us energy independent again? Chris, what is, what's your policies there? What's your policy against all this woke nonsense that's damaging our country? What's your policies about closing the borders and fixing our immigration so that we're not inundated with people who come here and have nothing to offer other than they want a better life, which is great. I, I understand that. But we can't just bring everybody in the door. You can't just have everybody in your neighborhood move into your house and have you feed them and clothe them. We, you just don't have it, have the resources for that. What's your plan for that, Chris? What's your plan for rebuilding? He doesn't have any of those. He doesn't talk about any of those things. He talks down Donald Trump. He attacks Donald Trump. So Chris Christie, once again, is showing us that he is not working for the country there's something in it for Chris Christie to attack Donald Trump. Now, maybe it's a personal ego thing that he wants to take Donald down because of the last election or, or whatever happened. But he's not working for the interest of the American people. And this is where I see that the rhinos, the Republicans in name only, that crowd, who are really left-leaning left, left uh, people, not conservative, uh, you know, they're a little to the right of progressives, but not much, you know, the Mitt Romneys out there who are traitors to the conservative movement, um, the, 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 the uh, people that we see every day that come out, the Paul Ryans, who we had such high hopes for being really conservative, they're really not. They're all rhinos. They're, none of them really want to stand up for conservatism. They're out there just running their mouths for, for their own thing. And, and rhinos are damaging America because they're not fighting back. You know, where is the fight back? Where was the fight back during the Trump administration when most of us knew that the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing was fake? We all knew it. But where was the fight back? Instead, we saw our rhinos step away from Trump, distance themselves, didn't want anything about it. Let these people lie left and right. And they did nothing about it. Well, rhinos are going to damage America. So we have a, we have a, we have a, we have a way to fix that. Uh, when there's an election and you have a rhino running, uh, you don't have to vote for the rhino. We should primary these people, and when it comes 
down to it, you should say to yourself, well, I really like John Schmuckatelli. Uh, he's a great, great guy, and he's a Republican, uh, but he is a rhino. So you know what? If you keep him in office, he's going to do rhino things, and he's not going to stand up for conservatism. So therefore, you have to go in and make a decision. Well, I really like John Schmuckatelli, but you know what? He's a rhino. I'm going to vote for his primary challenger, who is a conservative, and I'll put that person in. If we did that, we could turn the party around. Because right now, it's not a powerful party. It's not, and it should be. It should be a very powerful party, but it's not. Uh, we even see we, we see Jim Jordan, who's, who seems to be a very good guy. We see Matt Gates, who seems to be a very good guy. We see these very, very strong Republicans out there, and they're still struggling because they don't have their whole party. We can't count on a vote uh, for, for lots of topics where you'd say, well, every single Republican is going to vote for this. You can't. Every single time you go, ah, I'm not, well, we, we, we might get a majority and we might not get them all, though. And that's why rhinos are damaging our country. And I just wanted to talk about that. So now we have, um, you know, what? I'm going to take a breath. Hey, watch this. <sighs> Let me take a breath. I get so wound up and I don't want to jump from topic to topic to topic to topic. I do like to um, slow myself down a little bit and talk about some, some cultural things, right? I do like cultural things. So um, DJ Casper, do you know DJ Casper? Have you ever heard the name DJ Casper? You, you, maybe some of you, maybe. Yeah, well, I've, I think I've heard of him. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I've heard of DJ Casper. I don't, I don't know where do I know DJ. Well, DJ Casper was the guy who popularized something we probably all have in common and we've all enjoyed. And that would be the cha-cha slide. Ever go to a wedding and do the cha-cha slide? We all have. Everybody's gone there. Your old Aunt Tilly has gotten up on the floor and did the cha-cha slide. Your little cousin B Barry, who's five years old, he gets up and does the cha-cha slide. Everybody does. Well, apparently, um, DJ Casper, 58 years old, died recently. Um, and when you think about it yourself, well, maybe you don't know any other of his work. I don't know any other work by DJ uh, Casper, but I do know the cha-cha slide. The reality is that even though he had one hit, and he might have had 20, I'm not familiar with the rest of his work. I do know the cha-cha slide. He became a part of the, I don't want to say the lexicon of America, but he became part of the, the culture of America. Every wedding you go to, there's a very, very good chance you're going to hear the cha-cha slide. And that's what this guy created. See how I go back to the first part of our episode today, creativity? This guy created something that we all enjoy and we, we come together. So I just wanted to mention um, that he passed. Now, a few weeks ago, I also talked about the uh, very, very sad uh, and un unexpected death of a 20-year-old friend of mine's son who died of a drug overdose, uh, heroin, fentanyl, opioids kind of a thing, and he accidentally overdosed and died. And it was, it was very difficult um, for the family, for everyone who knew the young man. But he's one of, and what do we say, 297 Americans that die every single day from heroin and fentanyl overdoses. 297. So we did that program two weeks ago. So that's 14 days times 297 how many Americans have died, young Americans have died 
since that program. 297 times 14. Go ahead, do the math. Right? Well, we see recently um, Robert De Niro, great American actor. You don't have to agree with his politics. Uh, you know, he's a little wacky. But a uh, great actor. You can't deny that he's not a great actor. He really is a great actor. A lot of his roles are iconic American roles. His grandson uh, died a few weeks ago, and the, uh, the re report just came out that he died of a combination of accidental overdose death of fentanyl ketamine, which I thought ketamine was long gone, fentanyl, ketamine, um, opiates, and a couple other things. He overdosed and died. Uh, absolutely horrific that this poor young man... Um, that he died. Just it's just terrible. It's just it's a never-ending cycle of people dying from these drugs. And these drugs are in this country because they're coming, the precursors and all the chemicals are coming from China. They're shipped to Mexico where the cartels put it together, mix it together, and they bring it here and they kill your children. And that border is wide open. The border is wide open. Uh, so those 297 people that are dying every day, if we could cut that down to 197. Those hundred people that live might be your child, your grandchild, your granddaughter, your grandson. Could be De Niro's grandson, right? hundred people a day we could save. Imagine if we could cut it down to 97 people a day. We'd be saving 200 people a day. These are your friend's children, right? Your friend's grandchildren. So this is serious stuff. Um, this is very, very serious stuff. So when I talk about the border, uh, we only have a couple minutes left. You know, one of the things I talk about all the time is I don't dislike anybody. I don't dislike anybody. I don't, I don't hate anybody. What I dislike is policies. I dislike programs that are ill-informed, that are not performing well for people, that they, they, they're agenda-driven as opposed to people-driven. People so let's think for a minute. Let's, let's go back in time for a minute. Let's go back to the COVID era, the lockdown era. Remember when you were locked down in COVID? Uh, not in the beginning, because, you know, it was March 20th, and they said, we're going to lock down for 15 days to flatten the curve, and everybody took two weeks off, and we stayed home, and we, oh, we, we didn't have to go to work for two weeks. It was all good. It was, And then that dragged into a year and a half, right, almost two years. In that time, when you couldn't go anywhere, when your kids couldn't go to school, when... You, you had to wear a mask everywhere when you couldn't meet in groups, when you couldn't go to church and praise your God. They still had the border wide open. When you had to be tested every five minutes to go everywhere in your life, when your kids had to take shots, that doctors were screaming from the roof are not safe, and they were silenced, but your children had to take them. You had to take them to go to work. Millions of people were allowed to pour across the border without masks, without screening, without shots, without anything to come into this country. And with them came tons and tons, literally tons, of illegal drugs that took hundreds of thousands of lives. Now, let me ask you something. Put yourself in the position of you're the president of the United States. And your advisors come to you and say, 297 people are dying every single day because of this fentanyl and heroin coming across the border. 
we have little children being trafficked into this country, being sexually assaulted uh, all across Central America and Mexico as they come here. We have women being raped repeatedly. We have cartels making billions of dollars off of the misery of these people. We have Americans who are, are, are uh, sex trafficking in people and pornography for children and this and that. What, Mr. President, what can we do? What would your answer be? One of the first answers that I would hope would come to your mind, common sense and clarity, would be say, let's shut down the border. Let's shut down the border so none of that stuff gets into our country. But, Mr. President, what do we do about the people who have great aspirations, want a better life to come to America? Well, we should have a policy and a procedure for them to apply in their home country. Uh, we should screen them. We should make sure that they have something of value to bring to America. And if they do, and we need their services, and, we, and they will add to our country, we should let them in the door as fast as possible. That's what the president would say. What has our president said? He left that border open when you couldn't go to church. People pouring in here. Right? We've seen the rise of diseases we haven't seen in years and years and years, but that seems to be okay. We now see New York City and the mayor there, who is a, all these, these uh, sanctuary cities saying, we can't take anymore. It's too bad. You have to stop it. Send them to other places. They want to send them to upstate New York now, to places that didn't want to be sanctuary cities. And that's where they're going to send them. They're going to send them to your hometown. You're going to pay the bill. You're going to deal with it. So we are, we are a mess, my friends. We are a mess in America. And we have to get better. And the only way we get better is by the vote. We get to vote, 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 vote what's in your best interest. Now, listen, I love being here today. Thank you for letting me vent and going round and round. Think, how do we move going forward? This is Lieutenant Joe saying, hey, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. See you down the road.